Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Welcome to the 45th episode of the Social Fishing Podcast. I always get excited sitting down and recording these intros. I was lucky enough to have a chat with Sean Bowdler. He is the guest interview for this episode. Many of you might not know who Sean is, but I'm sure that you know what he is known for, and he is the man behind Mud Eye Lures. Mud Eye Lures are a massive brand, and they are in a quality lure that have caught plenty of freshwater fish. They're a timber-made lure, and they have accounted for so many big Murray cod. I'm sure you've heard of Mud Eye Lures, especially the snake and the rattlesnake. They're an incredible surface lure, and have caught lots and lots of big cod. There's a big range. It's not just those two. There's a massive range of lures, and like I did say, they are timber-made lures. There's not many good timber-made lures around still these days and it's good to see that Sean is continuing to make timber lures. Now, the story behind Mud Eye Lures could be up there as one of the most interesting uh, in terms of a lure and its history and how long ago it started. It has a long history. It's changed hands a few times and now it is with Sean Bowdler and he is here to share the story with you. The story of Mud Eye Lures, the story about how fishing started for him and why it was a passion for him when he took over Mud Eye Lures, how it's changed in his hands. Um, I talked to him about lure making and the effort that goes into lure making and and when when you talk to someone like this you don't realize you just see a lure on the shelf and you think yeah cool but when it's handcrafted when these lures are handmade timber made by an Aussie bloke you can just in this conversation you'll just hear how much effort goes into making a quality timber lure so it's going to be a really interesting chat Sean is a down-to-earth Aussie bloke loves his fishing is passionate about the lure making he really enjoys crafting these lures for you guys to go out and catch fish on. The best thing for him is to see photos of quality fish caught on these lures. It's a really interesting chat and we also talk a little bit about some fishing stuff in this episode as well. So it's a really exciting episode and without further ado, we're going to jump in now and have a chat with the one, the only, the man behind Mud Eye Lures, Sean Bowdler. Welcome back to another episode, guys. This one is going to be super exciting, and we've got another lure maker on. We have Sean Bowdler. Sean, mate, thanks for sitting down and having a chat with me today. Uh, thanks, Reese. Thanks for having me. No, no, you're welcome. So, mate, can first of all, with get it, let's talk a little bit about your background so people can get to know you a little bit, because you don't really take that forefront in the fishing world like a lot of people I've talked to, um, but people would know you by the content that you create, or not content, but the products that you produce, which is Mud Eye Lures. Um, so, why lures? Why Mud Eye? How did it all start? Actually, let's start Let's start with your fishing background. How did you... Obviously, you enjoyed fishing before you got into making lures. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I've, I've been fishing my whole life. Um, when I was a child, I started off as like uh, just drifting streams with um, with my grandfather, and we used to drift like walk all the high country streams and um, drift worms for trout. Yeah, that's oh, I can remember back to about three years old. We we used to do that, go out for the day, and then as I grew up, sort of um, got more into spinning for um, different sort of things, um, like down the, the local. We, I lived in a small country town called El Dorado and we had a, 
uh, deep old <clears throat> dredge hole. And yeah. my friends and I used to go out there on the weekend and take our tents and that and camp all weekend and chase redfin. Where's um, that, Victoria? Yeah, yeah, just oh, 40 minutes south of the border. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's a tiny little town. It's the smallest pub in Victoria. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's tiny. <laughs> and you just grew up You grew up doing that um, and what, what, what you were catching redfin. Yeah, then we were and like we um, – it's not far from Wangaratta where the Ovens River runs through there um, and we we would go there um, like well, not too often but, yeah, we got a chance to go out. We would go and um, fish for uh, cod and all that sort of stuff but this is back in – the 90s and early 2000s where fishing was a bit tougher then and especially when you only had the old um, Rex Hunt combo and some yeah. hooks and sinkers for Murray Cod. Yeah, you're, you're lucky if you got one. So Yeah, it's changed a lot. Can you see how much it's changed the whole fishing <clears throat> world for cod in the last 20, 25 years? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, it used to go out and you're lucky if you got it, got a cod when you're a kid and then as we got older and got our licenses and drove around and you know um, tried different spots and and whatever, um, we noticed it got better. But over the last I don't know half a dozen years, the quality of fish and the size of fish has changed dramatically. Like how many yeah, me- right. how many meter plus fish have we seen nowadays get pulled yeah, out? Yeah, do you reckon that's because? people know more about them and we've got these new lures and all this new insight into how to chase them and that's why we're catching them or do you think that the work of you know banning set lines oh it has to be has to be a combination of both to be honest i think you'll find like back years ago set lines was the normal you know what um you've seen yeah our grandparents and all that they used to Set, set line the whole river and take everything home for a feed where it's so frowned upon now that even if you kept illegal fish like you people would be embarrassed to tell people <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah so yeah and, and that's it's a good good thing to have like, you know to have that culture to try and care for the cod a lot more because it's it's better for the industry we we all go out and enjoy it and I don't like the taste of cod anyway. I'd prefer to eat something like a red thing if I was going to keep a fish. It's crazy how because, you know, if you go back, uh, I'm going to say way back before pre-European settlement, the fishing was unreal. And then it's taken like it took a decline there through a period and now it is on its way back. But uh, it depends who you talk to. I talk to some people who would catch so many more fish going back 20 years ago but it could have been the way they were fishing or style of fishing but most commonly people say it was quite tough and that it is getting better and better so i'm keen to see where it's going to be in in 20 years time but then again you've got situations like the murray that had the black water that was fishing really well it built up to this really good fishery and then it took a hit so yeah absolutely. i guess different yeah yeah but but overall, in terms of what we're doing, um, in terms of what fisheries do and what we do as anglers, it's getting better, which which yeah, is I really agree. good. Yeah. So 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 you had so you had an like a, a passion, a true passion for fishing, um, like anybody else, or was it just more of just a, a thing you did here and there? No, I'm sort of a little bit obsessed, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I, I've like always been obsessed with fish. Um, I went through a period about eight or nine years ago where I had a workplace injury and I um, hurt my back and I went through oh, seven months in bed where I um, did a disc and I couldn't really do a great deal and so I've, I just sort of um, got the addiction of 
collecting fish tanks and more fish and <laughs> my wife yeah. my wife used to um, help me change the water and stuff like that and i used to just sort of hang around and look at how fish worked like you know how they operated in their little communities and that i had you know 10 different fish tanks in the house it got a little bit out of control what? 10 yeah no way yeah uh, got a but little bit what sizes what um, was the smallest and what was the biggest oh the smallest would have been about four foot but uh, the biggest was a six by three by two um yeah, yeah and i had yeah a couple of four by two by twos and a six by two by two but yeah it just got a little bit out of hand so and what'd you have in them um i i really liked sort of african um fish from there um back then like um i had stuff like imported from africa the wild court and all that sort of thing but um yeah 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 that's cool yeah do you have any natives australian natives <laughs> um not at the moment i have had like we had cod and all that as kids in tanks yep. and that. Um, yeah, my, my dad sort of got me, I think, hooked on fish from a young age. He used to have a tackle shop back in the 80s down in Kingsbury in Melbourne. And so, yep. yeah, I've always just, yeah, had this obsession with fish. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So then you're saying you grew up, you, you, you barely caught a cod. Um, and then where did it go from there? And then where did the lures come into the picture? Because what we want to focus on in this episode is Mud Eye, um, which is a hugely well-known brand um, among cod anglers. Where did the point of your fishing go after, you know, you were young? Once yep. you were, you know, you could drive. You said, you know, once you could drive, you, you did a few things. Where did it go after that? And then where did the lures come into it? And why, why did you go into making lures? Um, well... Mudai came out for sale um, in 2016. It's a business. I'm the third owner. Um, yeah. It started back in 1984 when Jamie Flett started it. He was only 14 years of age when he started Mudai and um, yeah. been around for a while and had a pretty big name. Rick Peel was the second owner from Dubbo and I found out locally through a friend of his that it was up for sale. and. The reason I bought it is mostly because of me hurting myself previously with my back. I, I was doing another job where I lay timber flooring and it was just getting too much for me. So I was trying to find something that I could do forever. Yeah, so I took over. It was only last week. It was um, four years since I've taken over Mud Eye. It's been pretty awesome. It's, it was a massive learning curve going from yeah, doing something completely different into fishing. Yeah, but having the timber flooring background... I liked um, working with wood anyway, so having lures made out of timber was sort of what I like a niche sort of market where a lot of guys have, you know, steered away from that and gone on to injection moulding. Yeah. So going back, um, when when did Jamie start it? Nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know the story behind um, how it all come about? And then, and then my next question is, um, you took over it. Was it because you had you had the interest in fishing and you thought it's something you could do for a while? And then did you take on? Did you continue on the models? Like uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you did. But how did that work when you went? Because it's obviously very different to starting it yourself. Did you take it over and continue it exactly how it was going? So there's two questions there. There's that, yeah. and then the original of basically when it started, 1984. Are some of those models from now from way back then, or were they a totally different, um. totally different brand? Yeah, oh, he's had hundreds of models over the years. See, yeah, Jamie, I think he started it, you know, just in the shed at home and he's 
with his dad. And even the story I heard was very first law was actually the bib was cut out of the wall of the tin shed. Like they made an aluminium bib out of the wall. Yeah. yeah, it was a pretty awesome story. And the the actual mud eye lure, I think there was two two versions back then: the mud eye and the pop eye, which are very very similar shaped lures. They um, were his sort of first models that he like released to to sell the shops and that. Um, what was the mud eye? Was it was it tiny? Was it des- what was it designed for? Oh, there's there's um three different sizes. There's, oh, they're actually four. There's a forty mil size, a sixty mil size, an eighty mil, and one hundred. And um, yeah, they were designed for cod, but he used to use them for bass as well because he was up yep. in the Inverell, New England area. He used to yeah go out and target bass as well. Those ones there that yeah that and then the pop eye was one hundred and thirty mil long so right yeah um and 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 then and then when you took over um what are you saying 2016 was that when you took over yeah, four that's years right. ago yeah so have the same the same famous rattlesnakes um and all them you continued on obviously so no, I, I created the rattlesnake you um, created it right yeah yep. so rick peel made um he sort of t- took mud eye um from the smaller diving style lures to he he sort of Pretty much created the um, the surface craze for cod of extra, extra large lures anyway. But Rick, yep. Rick created the snake, which was the two hundred and sixty mil long version, and the, yep. the bigger paddlers. And um, yeah, those few models. But when when I got home with mud, I you know people, I told your mates and that that I was buying it, and um, people said, "Oh, you need to make a smaller lure than the snake. It, you need to make something that's easier to cast in the river or whatnot." So. Yeah. Yeah. When I got home, I set up all my equipment and the sanders and stuff. And about nine years later, I came up with the rattlesnake, and that was the very <laughs> first night, actually. And really, I was, yeah, I was. Um, I had a, an idea in my head <clears throat> of what I wanted, and the idea actually stemmed from the evergreen timber flash, where it, yep. it was my sort of favourite go-to lure for a few years prior to that. Probably about yep. 2014 was when. Um, my mates and I were fishing that um, over at my whaler. That and the, the Jackal Mikey, they were our sort of favourite surface lures. Yep. And we had nights where, well, what, there was one night in um, March at Kiffin's Reserve at my whaler where a mate and I were in his boat until probably 4 a.m. and we caught 50 odd fish off the top. It was just incredible. Wow. No one. That's crazy. Yeah, it was one of the best nights we ever had. I don't reckon there would have been a 15 minute period where we didn't get a fish. And wow! We just, How good would that been? They most of them were small fish. Like the best one would have been seventy odd centimeters. But we were, yeah. we were just laughing. It was so much fun. And um, it would be. Yeah. So we, <clears throat> when I fished those sort of lures, like, and then for two years, I, I never took those lures off. Like, you know, I call. I had some of the best seasons I ever had back then. Before, you know, getting into mud eye, and then I stuck to a wheel bench. But um. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. And they would have been pretty big lures back in the yeah, day. I knew a lot of people had them. But now, I reckon one in 10, even less, one in 20 people might have one of those in their tackle box, probably yeah, even less. Like, they're, they're really hard. It's funny how lures go through their phases, but they were they were really big back um, back then, which was before me, but I used to read about them all the time. Yeah. Um. So, you so you come up with a rattlesnake the first night you got home. Yeah, that's right. It was a bit rough, the first looking one, but... Obviously, uh, yeah, but it, it, it was awesome. And then I took it out with a mate oh, later that week, 
and I was casting, I might have been a week later, but I was casting that and some snakes I made and they were all pretty rough, they were my first ones. And then listening to it in the dark, it was pitch black night and I was like, wow, that lure is so loud. You know, and, yeah. and it it actually, yeah, it was just a standout. Like if my mate was casting his snake next to mine, you couldn't even hear it. And I was like, oh, yeah. this, this lure's got a potential and then it actually sat on the bench for six months like the orders for the mother eye snake was so so um big that like you know i'd be oh no two thousand snakes behind before i could even think about looking at that um rattlesnake and then yeah yeah I, so keep going sorry yeah, sorry then I, I actually ended up having to employ someone so i could catch up with the demand and uh, yeah yeah then finally yeah the next season, we decided to launch this um, rattlesnake prior to winter. Yeah, right. That's a that's a big process. If it, and it's a good thing, I guess, with a business you've just taken over to have to employ someone to produce, you know, produce the lures. That's kind of the place you want to be. Yeah, like, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, tell me, tell me, there's, there can't be too many lure brands out there that have changed hands and been so successful. And we're talking, I'm talking cod or natives in Australia that has then gone through three hands and is still a true Aussie name lure brand that's still going. So you've got yourself like a really strong quality brand and you've continued it on and probably bettered it from what it was, which is really, really good. And so when you when you took over it, did you take over it with the, with the idea of continuing um, all of those models or have you cut some models out and produced more so? Like you've just explained, you produced a rattlesnake. Yeah, I've, um, I've, um, there's about 40 different models. Um, I can't, I, I just don't have the manpower and the ability to make all the models anymore. Yeah, wow, 40. Yeah, there's there's heaps. Um, it went, That's crazy. It went through um, a stage where Jamie um, made them out of timber. Then he went and um, contacted company Lively Lures, who they injection mould for a lot of the big um, brands like AC and uh, oh, there, there's a few others. That I'm, yep. I'm not 100% sure. I, I don't want to mention their names in case I've, they don't get moulded through this particular mould. But um, they they would, you know, they got um, injection moulded through the early 90s. And then it came early 2000s or late 90s where he actually decided to go back to timber. And, right. Yeah, and then they created a machine that would carve the timber faster than what it was prior where he used to just do them on a belt sander. Yep. Yeah, and so when I bought the business I yeah I've got this um, particular machine that you designed so right so this machine like if you're happy to share so you don't sit there and individually carve the bodies of every lure the machine helps you so that yeah the machine sim- the machine shapes shapes the lure but I have to hand sand everything and put all the yep. eyelets in and all that it only yeah you just come out with a, a shape you know? so it'd be good for consistency though because that'd yes. be very difficult with timber yeah that's right and yeah. um yeah i don't think you could possibly make a living out of um, timber lures without something like that machine it just um isn't viable even even now like with, with the machines like you make a living off it you would you would never be rich <laughs> put it yeah, that way yeah. you do it because you love it most yeah. most most businesses in there lure making even in even in australia especially with natives it's it's kind of that reason isn't it yeah yeah, um, 100 yeah because you love it so can one question i've got um one lure that really stood out to me when i was growing up um 
which was a big cod lure back in the day, was the mohawk. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did Jamie come up with that? Yeah, he did. Or yeah, that was that, So, that's been around for quite a while. Yeah. And... They would have been a really good seller back in the day. Now, do you still do you still make that model now? Yeah, I do. Or, I do still make that model. Uh, and do you think that the 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 how people's perception on lures and what was an in lure at some stage changes? Like you'd notice. Well, you've only had it four years, so you probably haven't noticed. But I imagine some lures were the big thing back in a certain period, and now it's taken a big swing. I imagine surface lures would be the biggest go to. Yeah. In this day and age? Well, four years ago, I, I could not sell a hard body. Everyone, as soon as you, the shop, a shop would ring up to say, oh, can I order some lures? You'd be like, yeah, sure, what would you like? And they never, never steered away from a service like a mud eye snake or a paddler or anything like that. You would try it because you get sick of making the same lure. You, you, try, yeah. you try to sell them something else and they're like, oh, no, just surface at the moment, thanks. And so, yeah. And that's what it's still like now? Uh, no, the people are ordering. At the moment, um, the thingy is the um, the flavor of the month. I'm doing a few different versions of that. So, And, yeah. that, and that's my furry one. You know, it's a timber. Yeah, I was going to say, for people who don't know, explain the thingy. Tell everyone what it is. It's a, actually um, a funny story where the thingy came from. Um, well, to explain it is a timber lure with fur glued to it. The fur, when it's in the water, it creates a drag and slows the lure down. And so it actually looks like a water rat. But the, the story behind the thingy is Fleddy, the original owner, who um, brought a cat's toy from the um, pet shop and took it out in his boat. He put a wire tracer on the treble and um, his mate hated cats. And so he tied on this cat toy and threw it out and about half a dozen casts later, you know, he caught a metre 20. And, You're um, kidding. No, nah, there was no joke. That was a coaxing. And, um, you are kidding. No, a metre 20 on a cat toy. Yeah, it just had a trace through the nose of it. It's just a little tiny soft toy. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't wobble like the thing he does today. It just dragged through the water. And um, You're joking. Yeah, and I th- there was multiple fish caught on that thing in that session. And, um, yeah, they all stopped laughing pretty quick. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah and, that's crazy. And that's how the thing eventuated. It used to have a, so- um, a fluffy tail, but um, yep. I've changed it to a soft plastic rat-looking tail now because people would look at it and laugh. And now that I yep. thought, I'll make it look more like an actual creature. So instead of just sitting on the shelf, people actually can see that it – like he's trying to resemble a water rat. That's crazy how different models of lures or even anything in life, but we're talking lures, how they come about. It's always from someone's experience or something that's happened that's just, and in this case was a joke to start with because it would have never turned into a lure if they didn't get a touch on it. It would have been cut off and it would still be sitting in the bottom of the boat or in someone's shed. Yeah, that's right. It would never have come about. And now you've got this lure that, catches big fish that got produced because of that that's so cool so so it's a how long is there how many models is there just one in the thing no i've done done a few different sizes now i've got a little tiny one which the thing is actually based on jamie's original lure the mud eye so um it's just the mud eye wrapped in fur so i've got the baby thingy the normal thingy um so the baby thing is only a little 80 mil one the normal thingy is 100 mil long and then i i do one called the cousin this as well and that's popeye um and he's yeah just they're just blown up versions of each other 
really. Yeah. Um, and then <clears throat> I do one of the service thingy, which is just the middle thingy with the service paddle of you on the front. And that's right. a really, really subtle, uh, slow-moving service loop that has been doing really well for us this year. So. I hope you're enjoying this chat so far with Sean. It's really cool to hear all the stories about where the lures come from. So we're going to get back into that in a minute. Now, before we do, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is reports. Now, when it comes to getting updated fishing reports, it can be the difference between catching fish and not. Now, we're all anglers. We always want to hear about where the fish are biting. And it's not always from reports. Sometimes it's from your mates telling you. Whatever it is, we all get some kind of report from somewhere. It can be the fact that photos are going up on social media like I said your mates have told you what's going on or you read an actual fishing report now the one thing the biggest thing about fishing reports that I found was an issue was they are predictions so the big difference between a prediction and an actual report a prediction on its own without a report I believe is kind of like fuzzy news it's not proper information it's just a prediction based on someone's opinion and that's what I found a lot of reports out there in the world are a lot of especially print reports, ones that are printed and a lot that are online as well are pretty well predictions based on what should be happening at this time of year. But you can never know exactly what fish are doing. They are so incredibly hard to predict because they're always changing and they're always differing depending on the conditions and what's going on. And we can only have a guess at you know if the fish are biting at this spot, but there is nothing more vital than actually going there, experiencing it, seeing what's going on, seeing what the conditions are like and catching the fish and working out what they're doing and that is a report and that's what we have inside the social fishing membership we have actual reports from anglers who fish those locations on a regular basis so they're giving you true information it's not a prediction like you see in majority of magazines or print media they're written six weeks two months in advance and they're a prediction on what might happen what happens if there's a massive flood or a cold snap or conditions change within those four five six weeks which most of the time they do that is the big issue whereas with this we are having people write the report within that that day that they go or the day after that they do a trip and there's a report on exactly what's happening and if things do happen to change within the week or two weeks after they put updates inside the membership so they are up to date information and even better if you're doing a trip you can message them directly and ask them what's going on what should I be doing what lures should I be using where should I be fishing is it worth going you get to ask the person who is there regularly fishing it and these people know how to fish these waterways. Now, like I said, it's all inside the social fishing membership, and this is just one of the many features available. You can learn more at socialfishing.com.au. That is the regular reports written by anglers who fish these spots all the time. Check out the reports and check out the rest of the membership at socialfishing.com.au. Now, let's get back into the episode with Sean. Did you ever envisage envisage yourself going into lure making? Because Um, like your story isn't the uh, you know you come up with a model and you started selling it. It was you you bought it from someone else. But did you ever see it down the track, or it just sort of hit you at this point in life and now you are where you are? Oh, when we when we were younger, I got into cod fishing. Oh, probably like I always did as a kid. But when we got into lure fishing, maybe two thousand and seven something like that and my mates and I you know we always used to fish and talk about how cool it would be to do something in the fishing industry but 
that was sort of all ever you know thought of. Like we only just talked about it. <laughs> we never actually you know really pushed any more than that. We all had jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And I reckon that it'd be like most people. A lot of people. I reckon there's stacks of anglers out there who would love to do something in the fishing fishing industry, and it just you know oh, we've got jobs. It's just too hard. Like, and it is difficult. Like, and, and you'd back me on that. Yeah. Trying to make a living in the fishing industry is tough, but it if is. you can pull it off, it's good it, and, and it's rewarding. It's it's more about enjoying it, isn't it, rather than... Yeah, you've got to be passionate about it. It's not it's not a nine-to-five job at all. Like, oh, I've had weeks where I've, I've spent you know, can, oh, three months of the time doing 100 hours a week, you know, and um, wow. it burns you out. Well, I, I actually got glandular fever twice after owning mother because like, I just worked so hard to try and get it afloat. And then that, that's what that's what I guess happens when you work at something so hard. Yeah. Um, but like you said, when, when, obviously when you're not crook, um, the the rewards are well and truly worth it. Oh, I do it just to see when when you get those photos. If people send you a photo of the lure, the fish, that, and it's just to see how happy they are. That's what I do for. I agree, and it's the same, same, same thing, but different with this podcast. People yeah, absolutely. Send through a photo of a fish and go, oh, "Thanks for the tips." Like, it's, there's no, you can't hang a podcast out of the fish's mouth and really see what's going on. But when they send you a message and say, "You know, those few tips helped," it, it'd be the same feeling, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, I even, even I've learned stuff from this podcast. Listening, you know, it really, really uh, is a great tool, especially when you're at work. Whatever, and you're just listening to it in the background, yeah, you can really pick up a lot. Yeah, appreciate that. Thanks heaps. Um, so you 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 bought it four years ago. What? How's the pathway been the last four years? Um, you took a little bit of a back seat from making them last year, was it? Yeah, just, it slowed down a little bit. Yeah, my wife and I. Um, well, my wife had a baby, so. I went back to my other occupation of laying timber floors for a while, just so I could, you know, my wife could have some time off and we could afford, you know, everything. Because um, yep. with mud eye, it's a wage. Like you, you couldn't really support the entire family off it. But it's it's been a it's been a really good journey. It sort of it came from like Rick, who I brought the business off. He had a job, so it was like a side business for him. But mm-hmm. to be honest, like what he did. With the snake and that, I brought it right in the middle of the hype. So I had to learn very quickly yeah. how to do things. Um, at the start, it was hard. Like, well, it was a lot rougher at the start than what they are now. But um, mm. yeah, it was a, a really, really steep learning curve. But we got there in the end. Yeah, buying it and having everyone ask you, like, oh, how many, you know, can I order 50 snakes? You know, right. <laughs> they take an yeah. hour. They take an hour each and then you've got 10 shots, one of 50 snakes each. You're like, oh, man, <laughs> got a yeah. lot of work in front of me. But, um, well and truly. Yeah, I was, I was really lucky. Like anyone else could have brought a business, you know, and it, they've got to pull it out of the ground. But when I um, bought it off Rick, he had it firing. He really did. Like the the snakes and that were very limited, you know, when I when I purchased the business that people were just screaming for it. I remember people, seeing people paying two, three, four hundred dollars just to have a mud eye snake. So, really? Yeah, on online and even Rick would have people trying to buy his second hand lures out of his tackle box for a couple hundred dollars. So it was, just, it was the lure everyone had to have. I was just very lucky with what he did. At the time, yeah, because so. I was going to say it is one of the one of the must-have kind of lures, especially you know three four years ago when Copeton was really firing, which is probably about when you bought it. Yeah, um, it was, and yeah. you 
Yeah, yeah, right when Copeton was really firing with surfaces and I know that was one of the top lures that everyone wanted. And do you still feel now, even though you took a little bit of backseat, that um, everything's still there and people are still have this demand for them? Yeah, the demand's like I'm as busy as I ever was now. Um, I was a bit sceptical when I come back that, you know, oh, people still going to want my lures or, you know, uh, or have I missed the market? But, um, all my loyal followers are coming back and, yeah, they all like the new stuff I'm creating and I've got a new swim bait out now and everyone seems to be wanting that. So Yeah, that's what I was going to tell me about the new swim bait. Yeah, I'm, I um, made a swim bait through the COVID lockdown. Yeah, I, I tried for a few years to, to make one and um, I can get a few to swim mm-hmm. but I couldn't make it consistently. But, I, you know, in saying that, I've spent so much time making snakes and service laws that I just didn't have enough time to invest in this in the swim bait the swim bait's um something you have to get very very symmetrical and i had to learn how to make a, a um, template for my machine to cut symmetrical as well and you have to learn like because you it's a it's a, a timber lure that you've got to get a very buoyant timber to sink so you, you yep. just have to spend time to learn how to get the sink rates right and how to um yeah get it get it to glide through the water um and the way I did that was I, I um, purchased a few really well-known or, and well-made timber glide baits and just fished them for a little bit and worked out what I wanted out of my lure. Like, you know, um, yep. A lot of serious anglers would have heard of Raymond Mates and the mother and all that sort of stuff. Like we're talking you know, $500 to $1,000 swim baits. And I just, wow. I just um, <clears throat> yeah, got the stuff like that and fished it and said, I want to make something like that that the Australian public can afford like when i seen that um you know guys are paying 80 to 90 dollars for gigantorales i thought if i can make something out of timber in a similar market um, people will buy it handmade timber and um yeah so through the lockdown i had a friend say to me um oh, i reckon you should make yourself a swim bait so i did in it when i put my mind to it, it only took me like, a couple of days and i'd had it sorted out and how long is it um, it's I call it the Goodoo Glider, um, two one five. So it's two hundred fifteen from nose to end of the tail. Yeah, and I took it out the first first day and got four fish. On the, yeah, on the very first day, um, nothing really under eighty, eighty five. Yeah, was, that's a good test day. Yeah, isn't it? It was awesome, and I, I was trialing um, straight through um, fluorocarbon at the time, and I'm a bit slack. Now, because I've been surface fishing the last few years, I don't strike very good anymore. So I um, actually dropped a few fish that were, were pretty good just because of the stretch in the line. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was stoked. I, I had confidence in, in it fishing. Like I had a little um, lake behind my house and the way it fished through the water, I was like, yeah, this thing's you know going to slay the fish. And sure enough, I, I backed it up. Nice. And it's a glide bait, isn't it? So yeah, it for people who don't know, a glide bait, it's pretty well similar to a swim bait. It's just got less action and it more sort of moves to each side rather than sitting straight and sort of wiggling, doesn't it? Is that yeah. how, you, how would you... Yeah, that's yeah. pretty much how you'd explain it. It sort of slides from side to side. It does. It, it's not as noisy either in the water, I yep. suppose. A swim bait, like, you know, some would have a little bit of a rattle and all that in. Where on a glide bait, though, what I... It's a visual bait. If you've got dirty yep. water clarity, I don't know how you'd go with a glide bait. I suppose that's still zoning on it. But yeah. um, 
I've still caught them in reasonably dirty water, but the thing I like about a glide bait is there's something near it that has a more erratic sort of white motion that would draw a fish from further if they could see it, I reckon. And it and it and it looks better when it's moving slower and paused and things like that. Yeah, I agree. Like I, it just looks natural. That, and that's what I was going for. Like it's not yeah, like a huge, huge glide, like some some things can turn around on themselves. Mine's not yeah, that erratic. Yeah, it seems it seems to work. The fish like it. So <laughs> Nice. That's what That's I was going good, for. Good success. And yeah. so you've released them? Yeah, I've done it um, just small batches. I've only, oh, there might be 50 out there now. But um, I've had a yeah. lot of shops asking me to make them. So I might, yeah, start stocking a few shops and um, yeah. get it out there more. It's just that way, instead of having direct sales to clients, I can spend more time making lures than dealing with customers, I guess. And yeah. Make some more yeah. lures. For someone who's, if you're happy to share and help with someone else, say a young kid who's, you know, loves his fishing, you went from basically getting shoved in the deep end and you said you had this steep learning curve because you just jumped straight into it. Did you have any background on how lures were made at all? And Um, did you have any experience with timber? I've got experience with timber because I I, do my timber flooring business. So yep, plenty. but the lure aspect? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just straight, straight to the deep end and just had to learn. And so, if someone else was looking at making their own lures, like say, say, like I said, you've got a kid that loves his fish and wants to, you know, even just make spinner baits or, or yep. make their own timber lure, do you have any tips for them uh, in terms of, say, if someone's trying to make a, a, a timber lure, what's is there any sort of handy things you could share um that people would know something to do with how the lure is put together is there any sort of secrets to getting the lure working right it's a lot of trial and error but like say you're starting off with a hard body diver or whatever um but you you would need to use well i I prefer to use a buoyant timber but there's a lot of forums on the internet that'll that'll show you but there's places out there like ninja bibs and stuff like that that you can actually buy bibs and screw eyes and all those sort of components but yeah you just got to create a unique shape um i i find you know say you're making a hard body i like them to be a bit fat at the head and then a tapered tail so you get a wider action and stuff like that there's so many different um variations you can actually create in a lure but um the the most important thing is um you got what you got to seal it the timber because being a wooden lure, if the hooks and that after a while knock against your paint when you're painting and yep. peers through that film, then eventually the lure will become um, waterlogged and it will swell. So you just right. you just want to find something like this. Um, Bunnings, they sell a thing called um, Earl's Wood Hardener and you know, just or even timber flooring sealer or something like that that will just make the, the wood you know seal off to the other so how does that work it, it, it does it soak in so that, yeah, I, that the hooks can't scratch it so even if the yeah. hooks do scratch it it doesn't leak through so yeah that that's works? right yeah so i just get it like a, a plastic party drinking cup and um dip the lure into that and let the wood soak it up right okay yeah. and you'll yeah. see like the bubbles will sort of you'll see the air escaping from the timber um, yeah. Yeah, and then even if you did that twice, you know, just so soaking it up like a sponge, and then give it a second dip to get a bit more in there. 
Yeah, cool. No, that's handy. It's something that, something that I never even knew, and I'm sure there's a million other steps to make and lures, and that's why yeah, it's your craft because yeah. you know that that's why people pay for a well-made lure because there's a lot of time and effort that uh, goes into it. But yeah, and and if someone is giving it a crack, that's 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 a good idea and a good tip. And the other thing is getting a lure to swim straight in that. That's that's pretty yeah. important as well. Yeah, that's very important. <laughs> You soon, you soon will get out of here if it doesn't. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But in, so in saying that, if you, some of the reject lures, like when I I test swim all my lures, and if you get one that's a bit dodgy, they end up in my tackle box, and I've caught some good fish on dodgy lures. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. It's very true because one thing, one thing that I and I'm going to talk about it in future podcasts and things like that is that. People have this obsession on a lure swimming straight or the thing doing exactly what it's meant to be doing and, and we seem to prefer them doing like like a very straight, perfect action or, or swimming style or whatever it is. But when you think about a fish, I feel like we forget and it's what we want rather than what the fish wants. We forget that the fish themselves, when they're hunting and looking for food, they are looking for things that match their their natural prey, but they're also looking for their prey that is injured because, you know, there's a lot of carp to feed on. There's a lot of bait fish, and they're looking at picking up on the ones that they're going to be able to take the easiest. It's the same as, like, say, a cheetah chasing a whole heap of gazelles and that you're looking for the weakest one you're not going to take the strongest best looking one so you're not going to take the biggest strongest best looking carp you're going to take the weaker one so i feel like sometimes a lure and i, and I don't know if you agree yeah, a do, lure, and that's <laughs> and that's why our retrieves and how we fish it is important because you can get a lure to do those sort of injured looking things with your retrieve but i also know that some lures that are designed in a way that make the the what they're trying to imitate look injured. So your, your lure is obviously not injured, but your lure is representing a fish. And and if you can get that lure to look like it's injured or look like it's not in a good way, the fish really key into that. And I've had a heap of success um, on lures that actually start to swim out to the side and sort of do some odd things rather than just swimming straight like a plank the whole time. Something that... Um, I imagine, and we all get caught in the trap of thinking the lure has to be perfect, but then again, you want a lure that looks like it's dying. And that's why the glide bait would be good too, because it looks like it's swimming along naturally, and then you can do stuff to it to yeah. make it look sort of not happy or in, in a sort of, a, you know, a little bit injured and things like that. I agree, like, especially if you do like a quick quick retrieve where they sort of can blow out a little bit and go on their side. Yep. Yeah, and, that, and let it drop, but... How many fish do you catch on the drop? Do you know what I mean? Like it's stacks. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, you can't. Sometimes yeah, having a what we call a, a spastic lure, um, <laughs> yeah, it sort of isn't a bad thing. And how many like Murray cod do you see getting you know hooked and then another fish has come at it? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to know what um, what they come in from because you know how big cod come in to smaller fish that are hooked yeah i wonder what triggers them to come in i wonder if it's the water displacement that they feel or if the fish actually emits some incredible some kind of vibration that there's no way we can imitate 
or if it is just that water displacement and then they can feel it from a long way or they see it, I'd love to know exactly what triggers them to come in. And obviously, once they're in close enough, they can see that the cod's in distress and they can, you know, we can't imitate a fish like that with a lure, but it'd be good to know exactly what draws them in because I've seen and I've seen so many stories of, you know, you can get a big cod to come up in the middle of the day to chase a small cod that's hooked and you would never get it to come up for your lure. Like, there's been massive 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 cod come up to people who've hooked trout in blaring and they've chased the trout right to the surface in the middle of the day they would never ever do that to a lure in the middle of the day when they're sort of sitting down but they obviously know that that's that's a good opportunity for food so i don't know do you do you have an idea of what would what aspect of what i just mentioned would draw the fish in or you have no idea as well um well, it's funny you mention that. I only just only been eight or nine days ago had an experience where I was at Eildon and I've just brought that new Garmin LiveScope and um, I was scanning a bank and I'm just, I'm only just learning how to use it and um, I seen two really big fish in between me and the bank and I cast out with my glide bait and hooked this fish that was well over a metre because um, I got it right up and I could you know see color and all that and it just did these massive head shakes um yeah i I dropped the little i dropped the fish um the little came out but when we were scanning the bank there was two fish of very similar size anyway um like this fight was about 20 seconds long so you thought anything else that was there would be spooked and took off and then when we we turned the handle on the scope. The other fish was still there, and two casts later, I hooked it. You know, and right, and so I don't know whether you know all that disruption, like it was a pretty erratic fight, brought the other drew the other fish in or not. But um, yeah, it's been I've, something I've been thinking about a lot over the last week. Like you know, there's, there's the stress from that fish or the fight bring that other fish to us because it was very close when I got it again. <laughs> it was like yeah. right at the boat, so. And what size was the second fish? Did you land it? Uh, no, I dropped both. <laughs> to be honest, I was oh. gutted. It, oh. it would have been three really good fish day with this new live scope. And I, yeah, my um, fishing ability <laughs> dropped two of them. So, oh, I yeah, I was, yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I'm working it all out. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's The right, first one still... yeah, was right up there. The second one, I reckon, was still like 90-odd centimetres. But, um, yeah. Yeah, we, we, got, like, we got the net out ready to bring it up, but I... I um, was a bit too confident and it came off as well. It just they just yeah. do on those big, big, big head shakes. They were quite large fish. But yeah, it was yeah. it was just amazing that there was two together at like I caught I hooked the first one at eleven o'clock and the other one at eleven oh three. So like in, yeah, in the right. middle so of the day. Did yeah. you see did you see both fish sitting side by side yep. you hooked one and then was this second fish the same fish sitting there you reckon no it was two like i seen two identical like two fish swimming side by side and like especially we've been scanning for a little while and i don't think i've got one fish that morning and we're still working out the live scope and then um you had skiers boys on not long ago yep. I was watching one of these things on youtube and it was pretty much exactly the same explanation like example when um you see the fish in the water and you cast a lure past the fish and you watched it take your lure. It was like pretty much the exact same thing. And the, the one fish came came to it and the other one sat back. And then right. when I fought that fish um, then and I dropped it, we moved the pole around, not expecting to find another fish. 
and um, the other one was even closer. It, it was like it had tailed it. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So, do you do you have much experience with? Um, and I've heard this a lot before, but I've never had it happen to me. Have you? And I don't know. There's probably someone else out there better to ask the question to. But you know, when golden perch, how people, you know, especially competition anglers, would catch golden perch and stick them in the live well and not put them back because as soon as they yep. catch one or two, and then they put them back and they all shut off. Yeah. Have you ever experienced that? I I haven't um, put them all in the in the live well, but I have seen it um, firsthand. Like we have done that probably eight or nine years ago, where we've had them in the in the tank. But um, yep. Yeah, I have seen that that Lake Hume would have been 2011 when when the drought broke and the, the um, dam filled right up. The yellows were going off, but we had days where we would have got you know 35 to 40 yellows in in an yeah, afternoon, wow. and that was we didn't even have a sounder, you know. But um, yeah, when you started throwing fish back down, yeah, all of a sudden you had to move on to another tree. Mm. It must. They must just um, release stress into the water. Must, but it's weird, isn't it? Because then that contradicts what we're saying about this other situation with the cod chasing them. So it's a weird thing, isn't it? Maybe yeah. because we've had them yellows follow when they've hooked, but that's a spawning thing. Like you've yeah, got absolutely. four or five following one. Maybe with golden perch being a different fish, that kind of stress that gets emitted to them is a. We need to we need to run. Like yeah. we need to get a, get away. Whereas yeah. for a cod, it's that's well, what I yeah, want. Yeah, because cod being, being apex predator, maybe they yeah. they feed off that. Sure. Yes. So so yeah. Whereas the golden perch, they you know a, a couple of fish in their school start emitting that, and it's like let's get out of here. Something's not yeah. right. Yeah, I'd, I'd um I just thought of that then while we we're explaining. Yeah, that, that, it's that interesting. Makes total sense. Forever thinking about it, that's how you learn. So. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's it's good. So tell me, have you got any memorable experiences? Um, unless like, it might be beforehand, before taking over the lures, or or since with your own lure um, that you'd like to share. Maybe maybe one of your biggest cod, or one that was well and truly memorable, or an experience of of something. Um, well, obviously, taking that lure out for the first time and getting a bunch of fish, that rattlesnake would be a memorable trip. But do you have a memorable experience that you'd be happy to share? Yeah, um, when actually it is, it is the rattlesnake. Um, would have been 2017, probably April, March or April. And I, I went up to Copeton and I'd only made a handful of them. And um, I, I caught up with Josh Usher. And we camped on the bank for a few days and um, went fishing. And we we got a few fish uh, on the rattlesnake. It was, well, I think, the first day we got oh, 102, 108, 115 the first morning. Um, Jeez. It was a really, really good morning. And it was one of those back when – have you ever been to Copeton before? No, I haven't. Yeah, I'm heading the, up there this year. Yeah, the bait – the fish are like pelagic there. The bait um, – just flicks and goes nuts, and you know you're on. Like, and, and the the bite windows are only very, very short. But um, yeah, it's like something you see in the movies in some days. Sometimes, like the amount of bait flicking yeah. that goes on. And yeah, this one morning, yeah, we got 102, 108, 115, or whatever it was. They were, they were all pretty good fish, and we had two fish side by side coming coming at. At the lures, right? Um, yeah, it was like they were just draw, drawing them from everywhere. Yeah, two two fish about the same size, just swimming straight at the lures, and you could see them. It was amazing. Surface lures? Yeah, both both rattlesnakes. 
What, to- oh, what? So wait, one swimming after one lure and one swimming after other, <laughs> yeah, or two yeah. fish swimming after one lure? That um, there are two fish swimming after each lure, but they came side by side. One went one way, one went the other way. Um, and Josh was at the front of the boat, and I was at the back. And um, yeah, the, these two fishes came off one tree, and both yeah, one went one way, one went the other way, um, chasing after our lures. It was amazing. And then you're kidding. No, it was like because I don't know whether they just hadn't seen it before or or we just got a freakish bite, but um, wow. the next day was even better where uh, we'd got oh, the fish size wasn't as good, but the day was hot. Like you know, the the bite was hot. We, we were fishing the thingy and the rattlesnake, and um, we got oh, like a ninety odd in the morning on the thingy, and then yep. once the sun was starting to come up, we thought, oh, we'll, we'll go to the surface now. It's a prime bite, and we had one fish coming through the rattlesnake that hard that it smashed its head in through the side of the boat. Like a, you're joking? Yeah, and it pushed the boat like it was. It was um, wow. Yeah, they were just going that nuts for it, and um, then we had. I think we got another one in the nineties um, as well on the rattlesnake, and then the sun had come up, and we thought the bite had shut down, and then I seen a disturbance in the water near like a standalone pine tree. In, mm. in, the, in the water and I, um, I I said to Josh I'll get one here I reckon there's a good one there and yeah I, I cast I had this bright pink spastic thingy it wasn't very good and um, yeah sight casted in 97 off a standalone pine tree it was pretty pretty impressive sounds yeah. like a one memorable trip that's for yeah, sure yeah just there yeah, was two days where the fish were yeah, just going nuts and um, yeah. yeah we had some friends who they had the rattlesnakes and that on as well I'd only made, yeah, probably half a dozen I brought with me. And, um, yeah, they had a pretty um, standout morning as well. It was just like, because the fish hadn't seen seen it or heard it before. It was something that, yeah, just yeah. they went nuts for. And, and they obviously, when they, a lot of the same sound gets thrown around, a lot of fish get caught, then they start to learn, um, which would be the case now. Like you, like you said, it's something new. Yeah. And, that it really would have stood out. Was that back? Was that back in 2016? That, Seven, trip when that you one just was 2017. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, before the rattlesnakes come out. Yeah, it was. Well, we I went up there just pretty much to get photos um, yep. to release like the first batch. I might have had 50 lures at home. And I was like, yep. I'll go and yeah, um, get some photos and then come back and start selling some lures. And um, yeah, it was just. It was a crazy weekend, and like Josh is a guide, and he said, "Oh, I've never had a fish smash its head into the side of the boat like that." Like it was, it was just—he pulled the lure out of the water, and it was wanted the lure that much that so just kept going. It was wow, fun. yeah, that's so good, man. There's some stories out there that, like, you, you all have your own experiences, which is amazing. But it's it's good to talk to people um, because you hear all these crazy things that happen, and you know they would happen. It's just yeah. the chances of them happening yeah. is like very slim, but. Everyone's got some kind of story like that. That's insane. Like, it would have been a great bite period to be there. I bet it was unreal. Yeah. Uh, um, I've had some other mornings that have been, you know, good fun, but, yeah, that one was certainly certainly a standout. Yeah, well and truly, well and truly. Mate, um, thanks heaps for sitting down and having a chat with me today. It was really good uh, to get an insight uh, into Mud Eye, how it all started. And obviously for you, it's just been the last few years. Um, and, and it's good to see, you know, a really well-known brand continue on and get passed through hands but then still have these really good high-quality lures. And they've been around forever and for good reason. And 
And I really enjoyed hearing the story about how, how it started for you and how you got into it. And I'm sure people out there would be really interested in hearing, you know, basically the story. So thanks heaps for sharing no um, and share, sharing all those other stories about, you know, fish getting caught. We always love a fish story. <laughs> Mate, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. Good luck uh, with the swim bait. I'm sure they'll catch a heap of fish by the sounds of it. They've caught a fair few for you already. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was really good to hear the, the story of Mud Eye. So yeah, thanks heaps for, for joining me. No uh, it was a good chat. I hope happen. you enjoyed Yeah, that's all right. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been great. Yeah, no, it's um, it's always good talking to, to different faces, and and people, and a lot of people wouldn't uh wouldn't know who you are or the story behind Mud Eye. So, and and it's obviously an interesting one, the fact that you've bought it and it's it's it started with someone else before that. But um, yeah, good luck with the future, and for everyone who is listening, um, the lures will be more. There's going to be more available from pretty well now. Now that you're getting back into it. Yeah, yeah, I'll be doing it full time now. I sort of um. Well, yeah, went back full time since um, the COVID has started. So. Yeah, yeah. So there'll be more mud eyes on the shelves, uh, which will be good for people who are true passionate fishers of basically that brand because I know a lot of people who, who really love them. It's like it's almost almost like a religion, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, it is. Have you go to lure? Yeah, absolutely. It's, well, you just want something that you're confident in. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know Talos loves them. Um, I reckon, I don't know how many, I reckon that's the the main lure he throws. It'd have to be either a thingy or a rattlesnake. Um, I don't know how many big big fish or even good fish he's caught on that rattlesnake. Um, he loves it. But yeah, no, I really appreciate you um, sitting down and having a chat with me, mate. Get back into the lure making and, and I hope it all goes well and, and it's successful for you over the next few years. Uh, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Sean. I'll catch you later. Right. See you, mate. What I love most about these episodes is you just have no idea where they're going to go and the things that you are going to learn. I'm always learning new things just like you. It's basically the same. I'm sort of absorbing all the information just like you are. But the things you learn are incredible. Just the story about how that lure come to be, the fact that they use a cat toy to start with and then that's where the lure come from. And you wouldn't even even know that. You just see it on the wall. There's a story behind everything and that's why I love this podcast. Not only are we learning but we're listening to some cool stories around the sport that we love, the passion we love which is fishing. Now once again, I want to say a massive thank you to Sean Bowdler for jumping on this episode with me and opening up and sharing what Mud Eye Lures is all about, some of his models and even some tips for those who are keen to get into lure making. There's so many different things out there to learn. And what it kind of sort of solidifies for us is that the people behind these brands are Aussie, down-to-earth people who are just trying to earn a living but also enjoying what they're doing. And that's what Mud Eye Lures is all about. If you buy a handmade crafted lure by an Australian, it's going to their pockets and it's supporting them. It's not going overseas or basically anywhere else. So you are supporting these Australians who make these lures. Not only are you getting a good quality lure that isn't built for Murray Cod or whatever species in Australia, you are supporting local Aussies just like yourself. Hope you enjoyed that episode, guys. We've had a couple of lure makers on now. And if you do enjoy these lure maker episodes, we will continue to jump on and get some 
some more interviews with lure makers to share with you. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I had fun putting it together and learning the story behind Mud Eye Lures. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave a review or a rating on the podcast app that you are listening on. Also, take a screenshot, post it on your Instagram story and tag us in it. Let us know what you think. Jump on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and a comment. I would love to hear from every single one of you. Just a reminder for those of you who are new to this podcast, you can submit listener questions and we will answer them in our listener questions episode. Talis and I sit down and answer your questions. And you can do that at socialfishing.com.au. Now, what you do is you jump on the website, sign up for a free account, access the free account, you log in up the top, you can, under the drop down, there is the submit your listener questions. Click on that. You can type in your question and we, it will come to me. You won't get a response, but I get every single one and I will add them together for the future or the next listener questions episode. We actually have a couple sitting there at the minute and that episode will be coming up very soon with Talos and myself. Again, I just want to touch on those social fishing reports that we have going up. They are inside the SF membership and they are real-time reports written by anglers who are fishing that waterway with real information and like I said not only do you get a report now the reports are every month so they go up at the start of every month now I'm recording this this episode will be going up late October so within the next few days all the reports will start to pop up and show up inside the membership currently we have nine reports for nine different locations and areas but that is continually expanding this month coming up I think we're expanding to 11 and they will continue to grow and grow we're going to have different rivers dams, lakes and destinations around New South Wales and Victoria and we want to continue to grow that into Queensland and other states as well. So that is the SF reports. It's inside the social fishing membership and they are up-to-date reports. And remember what I said is if something changes based on that, that person's report and prediction, if something changes the week after, if the weather changes or the water level changes, they will let you know in updates inside the social fishing membership. So there are updates inside the community. There are groups for each waterway and they will provide updates on what is going on. They also share photos and posts from their trips and you can even message them. That is the best part of what I love about it is you can message these anglers and ask them what is going on so that you can get the best information before you head to a lake. First-hand knowledge from people who are out there catching fish is probably the biggest factor that will lead to success and that is the whole point of this membership. We want to help you guys catch more fish. The membership, the website and the podcast, that's what it's all about. As you can tell from listening to these podcasts, we're always happy to share as much as we can. That brings us to the end of episode 45 guys i hope you enjoyed it that was a cracker with sean bowdler on mud eye lures i really appreciated his time sitting down and chatting with us if you do have a listener question shoot them through if you have any other questions for me shoot them through on social media or email me on the website so jump on socialfishing.com.au and you can email us there and basically guys i'll be talking to you in the next episode coming up very soon that'll be episode 46 we have some exciting topics and guest interviews coming up soon thanks for listening guys i'll be talking to you very soon and you've been listening to the social fishing podcast